That's true. Okay. Fair point. More nuanced than I thought it would be. Okay. It's not like you're looking at vocabulary words. <laughs> you're right. There's more nuances. <laughs> Touche. You got me. All right. Welcome to the Productivity Lab, the podcast where we put the tips, tricks, and methods of getting stuff done to the test. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Mark. And today we are doing another book review. We'll be reviewing the book Ultra Learning by Scott H. Young today. But before we get to that, how about we do a quick catch up on what we've been up to? How have you been, Mark? I've been pretty good um, trying to get my mojo back and uh, getting ready for the inevitable future. So the few things that I've been working on here since making my big decision uh, on our last episode is uh, just finishing up one last a um, talk that I need to do. So I'm in the final stretches of finishing up the presentation and practicing so that I can uh, give a talk at a uh, online uh, summit that's happening uh, next week. So uh, once I do that, uh, the last few things is for me to wrap up and begin to make my announcements of me stepping away from Austin Podcasters, uh, handing it over to one of the other admins to take it over the website, um, mm, social yeah. media accounts, big change. all of Changing it. the guard. Yes, yes. So there's going to be quite a few things that I kind of need to remove, you know, domains in mm-hmm. equals emails. So I need to reach out to people um, uh, directly that I've been communicating with uh, to uh, ensure that they change over their uh, email for me and stuff like that. And then uh, making the community announcements and stuff. So there's some run, some ramp down work for that so mostly been working on the keynote um which i was telling you before we started recording ended up being like a 4400 word outline um and then (laughs) you wrote the speech itself yeah (laughs) so it was just kind of more of um how i do it if it's a topic i know right you always have to kind of research and pull together though thankfully uh I already had a resources page on the Austin Podcasters website that kind of cover these things. And it's been things that I've talked about in our meetups and written about before. So it's just kind of, you know, going over each topic, structure, outlining um, Mm. things. I already know what I want to say, but uh, just outlining things that I definitely want to make a point on. But I've never created any presentations for it. So then it's okay what key images or text do I want to put on there um, and try to avoid doing bullet points and stuff like that. Just have more of the imagery um, mm-hmm. so that I can speak to it. So um, that's what today's going to be all about. Um, outside of that, just kind of very early planning uh, once I hand everything off for us to podcasters to get to work on writing mm-hmm. and the few um uh, actual projects that I have for my self-publishing imprint uh, to get those finished and out the door and um, other projects in the wings to spin up. So I'm super excited about that. It's not like it's going to be all, you know, dreamy from here. Writing can be extremely hard (laughs) (laughs) 
there's some days you sit down to write and you get 150 words out and yeah. and yeah. you spent like two, three, four hours to do that. And you're like, what the hell? <laughs> and then there's been other days where I can sit down and, and bloop, there goes 3,300 words. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's now actually creating a good writing structure and platform. So um, I think after once I hand everything else off, I think June, and we'll be talking about this in the next episode, but I think June is mostly going to be focused on sit down and write. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to do any social media stuff for my imprint, which I haven't been doing. Um, but I won't be jumping into that. I won't be jumping into my other podcast or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sit down, write, and then in July, I can kind of come out the the writing tunnel and then start looking or bleeding other things back into the array. So um, I'll be spending uh, the next several weeks hunkering down and catching up on projects. So that's kind of what I've been up to. Where I'm at at the moment, you know, outside of the day job being crazy busy. Why? <laughs> Why? It's been crazy busy, like full. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so that's been tough as well, especially like with the talk coming up. Um, mm-hmm. That um, now I'm finally in a better place and I'm able to focus on that outside of work. But work has been like so tough. And the first thing you want to do is like relax, right? Yeah. Chill out after work. But then you're like, well, shoot, I need to outline this section. I'm not even halfway done. And you got to get that, got to sit down, you got to write and crank it out. Um, and then you wake up the next morning, you're like, well, there's some other things I need to do. I finally <laughs> finished my taxes. Yep. The problem with just living in general, plus living with people, like living as people that like uh, to do projects. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been a mess. I finally finished my personal <laughs> business taxes. Um, wow. Thankfully, we had the extension. So and plus I oh, owed right. all my taxes. So I really didn't want to do them anyway. Um, I didn't say that. And um, I actually, you're editing this up to the videos. You edit that out. <laughs> I'll edit that out. And I actually also have to do my um, actual business taxes, my franchise tax for the state of Texas. So that's due in the next few days. And and I can do that now that I've actually final finally finished uh, my personal slash self employment taxes. Um, so I can actually take that data and move it over for uh, the franchise tax info. So that's everything that I've been up to. It's kind of been a little bit hectic, but kind of fun. And and the next after next week, after I give that talk, it's kind of the ramp down for Austin podcasters. And then from there, it's kind of like clear skies. I can't, 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 can't wait um, I'll be doing things that um, I haven't been able to do or get to since, geez, since I founded my publishing imprint. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah you're going to have a it's clear skies ahead. Clear skies ahead. All right, that's enough for me. What have <laughs> you been up to? Not much has changed really since the last time we spoke. Uh, if anything, the things I've been working on are topical to what we'll be talking about today. So I'll save them for the episode. But overall, things have been uh, as normal as it could be during the quarantine. 
been uh, working from home during the weekdays. And uh, I have been feeling some burnouts with just kind of like staying in the house for so long. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I was talking about before we started recording, I really want to go to a coffee shop and I really want to just like go out and not just like go for a run or a walk, like go out and do something. So it's, I'm now hitting that cabin fever point. It does help though that I live with somebody else and two dogs, which helps a lot. Yeah. But I, I'm starting to feel it. So we'll hope be better by now probably not i mean i'm gonna be staying inside as much as possible away from people doing my part and uh using and taking advantage of this for the better uh with things like working on projects like you're trying to do yeah i'm not gonna talk too much because we have a long topic ahead of us (laughs) so how about we hop right in let's hop right into it yeah so do you want to introduce this or shall i The book is called Ultra Learning with the subtitle Master Hard Skills, Outsmart the Competition and Accelerate Your Career. Actually reading that, I I hate it. Anyway. I I never actually noticed the subtitles on now. I I just if I saw that earlier, uh, I probably would not recommend this book. But I'm happy we didn't see that earlier. Exactly, exactly. It, that just ah rubs me the wrong way. Anyway, I guess yeah. you got to write and title to your market, right? And yeah. your blurb, right? Yeah. Okay. So um, that's one thing I'm gonna have to learn in going to publishing. So yeah, it's uh, it states in the synopsis uh, that. It's to learn a new talent, stay relevant, reinvent yourself, and adapt to whatever the workplace throws your way. Ultra Learning offers nine principles to master hard skills quickly. This is the essential guide to future-proof your career and maximize your competitive advantage through self-education. And that is primarily the reason that we chose this book to read um, and review Given the situation um, uh, that's happening in the world due to yeah. COVID nineteen, yeah, like like I mentioned in the uh, previous episode, I mentioned that CGP Gray video, like Spaceship U, mm-hmm. like the the thesis of the video was that you should come out of this better than you were before. Yes, so I feel like that this book. Although I watched the video after the after we started reading this book, I really feel like that that's like the philosophy that people have right now is like I'm going to come out of this better than I was before, and either improving yourself as a cook improving yourself as a, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to explore. Like we're trying to work on writing. You and yeah. I both are trying to work on writing. Uh, so this is this is the time to do that. So this is the right book to start reading now. I know we're releasing on June 15th. We should release this review uh, probably back when Digital Minimalism was released. But <laughs> yeah. when Digital Minimalism was released, that was actually timely at the time too. Since we, uh, because that was like whenever COVID-19 started hanging America. And there's like a lot of news reports at the time. So it's nice to stay away from the news at that point and mm-hmm. just kind of focus on the local news and the stuff that matters, like the CDC website and the WHO website. So I think that we're doing this at the right time. It could have came a little bit faster, but our schedule is every every five episodes to do a book review. Yeah. But yeah, let's get down to this book and what it is. Ultra learning in principle, as laid out by the book, is pretty much the... It's pretty much a self-taught accelerated learning course, kind of like a a uh, a crash course in a topic, but with like a lot of depth and not so much width to it. And the idea is that you choose a topic that you want to work on, you find the resources that are needed for it, and then you just start practicing as much as you can. That's the gist of it. There's he lays out nine different phases of your not phases, uh, 
nine different principles that you have to follow mm-hmm. whatever you have to follow it's all but like that he recommends you follow uh, which we will go over I'll just list them right now though the principles are meta learning which is learning how to learn which is pretty much researching stuff and seeing like what the best way to learn the topic is focus aka deep work and or hyper focus going back to that <laughs> that old uh, classic of this show uh, directness, which is keeping your goals in line and well-defined. Drilling, which is working on the hard stuff. Retrieval, which is pretty much testing yourself. Feedback, which is, you know, kind of self-described. Seek out feedback from people that are knowledgeable in the subjects. Retention, which is the ability to remember what you've learned. Intuition, which is the ability to get it down to like a mastery level. And experimentation, which is the uh, process of trying out your new tools in different contexts and see how they work and don't work. So I think what we'll be doing this episode is that we'll be going through each of these. But first, before we get to that, what are your general thoughts on the bookmark? Is there anything that I missed? No, um, those are pretty good out points. And and there's some that I think may be duplicates, but I'll get to that as we go through each point. (laughs) Um, Though overall... Um, I thought it was a really good read. Um, And for me in particular, it was a nice refresher on some of the ideas because I tried to implement them not only uh, through my work. And we actually uh, I actually had a long conversation with a coworker that centered around these nine principles that uh, Scott outlines in his book. And it's because we were doing uh, I mentioned this before on the show we were doing a uh, Wireshark and networking training uh, lecture series, if you will. And his idea is, was that you can't train people. Training is useless. But I'm like, and so we've had long conversations and discussions regarding that, is that you can if you actually outline a proper plan for it. Our training only reaches up to a certain point because we're not full trainers to build out this mm-hmm. entire plan and to continue over this extended period of time. Um, but in our discussion, the point was, is that I centered on his hesitation or dislike for training. And that's because in his career, he has had to self learn everything. Mm-hmm. And for him, that's the only way to learn. Yeah. And at a point, There is because you can have all the training in the world and it will teach you the known stuff. But when you really need to dig down and learn the actual core concepts, um, you're not going to know what that is from a training on a product or training on a technology or something unless you're able to actually fully use principle number four, for example, (laughs) uh, and number three, uh, directness, um, doing the thing that you're trying to learn. And four, drilling down into your weakness of that thing that you're doing. Um, so for he, he and I, like for me in the past, I've been the in my past two jobs. I was the at many years early into each job. I was the only person that knew how to do what I did. No one else in the company did. So then I had to write my document documentation and plan a train. But when problems happen, I had to figure it out on my own. I had to pick up the topics, learn, drill myself on it, practice extensively and all that stuff. So I thought it was overall for me, it was like a great read and refresher mm. to kind of go through the book and uh, and kind of 
get a refresh on the things that you're doing and kind of help better strengthen your framework. He even talks about relearning in that book as it's easier to relearn the topics once you kind of um, go over them. So I was um, those are like my early thoughts on that uh, that I found that were pretty enjoyable from this book, from my experience. And then for people that uh, haven't, I think there's going to be a lot to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go down the subject list then work our way through this and kind of talk about each one, break them down. I liked that about this book is that he, the book was really well structured. Mm-hmm. It was, it followed a really common theme. It didn't kind of meander around the place. Like the, I won't say digital minimalism meandered around the place, but it like the first like hundred pages or so are pretty much all what you needed to know about digital minimalism and the rest are like oral examples. And this book, he takes the thesis pretty strong. So let's start with meta learning, which is the idea of, Uh, learning how to learn the topic that you want to learn. He describes it as the point in your process where you find a topic that you want to learn and you go through like all the known resources out there. So for example, I'm working on two uh, growth projects right now, one of which is learning Python and the other one is is improving myself as as a writer. And so for meta learning, I went to the subreddit R Learn Python and started looking for the best lectures and the best Udemy courses and best online resources to go to. And I created a list of all of those. And that's my current route. I also found websites like Code Wars and later on Leet Code, which are daily practice prom websites where you they give you a challenge and you can choose your difficulty level and then you just you solve it and you compare your answers to everybody else. So you get feedback that way as well. So I, I created a roadmap for my digi- for my Python learning that way. And that was because I went to a very useful resource. Of course, it could be different for everybody. If you want to learn, say for example, the, the example Scott uses in this book is his, actually he uses two examples I'd say. Uh, they were his language learning where he spoke Spanish for a year straight, no English at all. I don't know if it's straight up Spanish, but the idea was that he's going to speak no English for a whole year. Uh, the book is actually written with a foreword by James Clear of Atomic Habits, who said that he was trying to get an interview with him, but he couldn't because it's during the year of no English, and James Clear, I guess, only speaks English. So he's <laughs> like, I couldn't talk to this guy. Uh, the other thing that, that inspired Scott to go down this path was he was doing a self-taught computer science class. He found all the MIT courses for computer science and some of their tests at least on, MI, on MIT's OpenCourseWare website, which is a website that has a bunch of old lectures from MIT and notes and lessons to have it for reference. And every and he decided to teach himself the entire curriculum of a four-year degree in his own house by watching these lecture series. How effective that was don't know. He's not a computer scientist. He's a writer. So <laughs> I don't know if he's how effective that was, but he also like, he went down this whole path and like he was looking through the MIT open courseware. He was looking through the MIT curriculum to see which classes from the co- open courseware he had to find in his, or he had to take in order to become a competent computer scientist. And then he made a list of all of them. And if he couldn't find the lecture online, he'd find substitutes somewhere else. And he just created this whole list and that's his meta learning process. How to learn, how to learn. Basically, everybody's favorite step, everybody's a fan of this podcast's favorite step, I'd say, which is the planning part. Because planning is fun. Yes. Yes. 
Um, and for this, like I talked about it briefly um, on this very show, on this very podcast uh, regarding matter learning, because I discussed like how I read books, like when it comes to nonfiction books, uh, self-help type books, when I'm going in, I pick that particular book for a reason, right, mm-hmm. to learn something out of it. So, all right, what am I seeking to get out of this book? Um, uh, I uh, mentioned before, like, w- when I do that, all right, what I'm seeking to learn from this book, what do I want to learn? Um, I read the blurbs, I read through the chapter listings, I scan the uh, first paragraph or so of each chapter to kind of get a sense. Sometimes I also may listen to an interview from the author to get a little bit more information about the book. So in my head, I have this whole kind of framework of what the book is actually about, what the author is actually trying to get through. And most of the time you, you'll find like if you listen to an interview or, or something about the author, they tell exactly what the book is about, <laughs> what to get out of. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And then what you're you got the concept, the core concept, the core theme. And then when you're actually going through it, you can actually read through the book faster because you 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 know the themes and the core concept of how it goes, um, and you're just picking up the smaller, finer little details that you make notes on. So that's my meta learning process when learning books. And as you mentioned, Kyle, like I'm doing the very same thing, in which um, I have a project to learn UX design and get mm-hmm. back into learning uh, web design as well. And I made a list of a research the different places, the people that I already follow that may have covered some things regarding UX to see who are their uh, recommendations, um, going to the different UX. Um, uh, lots of people on Instagram I follow that list UX resources. There's been people on Twitter I follow for UX um, and also Reddit. Um, there's a UX mm-hmm. subreddit. And making a list of what those are and then looking at those different videos. Uh, there's someone here locally, a, f- a few UX designers um, and researchers that I know here locally that I've also interviewed, if you will, about UX, what it is. Yeah, so that's what you're saying he talks about too in the meta learning step is to seek out people in the field that are already experts of some mm-hmm. sort. And ask them how they got there, like what's the best resources, Yeah, uh, learn the, the philosophy. It's kind of like, yeah, I get the overview effect of this whole thing, actually. The um, overview effect is an actual psychological phenomenon. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, the overview effect is when we get to space and like, you realize that we're extremely tiny and everything that we do is pointless and we should strive to be, we should strive together as a species to become better than we really are. Yeah, That's not what we're doing in this. <laughs> in a sense. You're taking a look at, at the topic and where you're at, and you try to start to become a better as a person. Yes. There we go. I made it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so that's that's a point, right? You want to make sure that you're actually speaking to people. So in that whole process to kind of structure what courses and and books that I will read on UX, I got it all from uh, from that research and learning from them that actually do the job right. What what would you say is the core thing that someone should focus on or focus on learning and mm-hmm. to try to tackle that? So um, I really like the idea of the principle one because it really helps you mind map, if you will. Yeah, yeah, it's like a mind map. I actually was considering doing a mind map 
uh, this morning before recording for my Python practice. Mm-hmm. But I just got lazy and didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like you're basically mind mapping what you should do. If you don't know what mind maps are, I'll I'll look for a guide and put it into the show notes. Actually, Mark is editing this episode, so Mark will do that. Yeah, I actually have one from the planning workshops that I did oh, nice. for Austin Podcasters. Right. If you don't mind sharing that, we could put that into the uh, to the show notes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you're mind mapping your learning process, or or kind of you're reviewing why you're doing the thing that you want to do. And that works into a later portion of the principles that you can kind of come back yeah. to. He, um, he, he does recommend you ask three questions before you start any of these projects, which is one you just said, which is why do you want to learn it? Mm-hmm. Just what your motivations are. What do you need to learn to be successful? Which is what you get from those interviews or going to like the Python subreddit for me. Uh, and how do you best achieve your goals? Which is kind of, goes down to what your goals specifically are. Mm-hmm. So like if you want to become a better graphic designer, uh, actually that's a bad example because I have no idea what to do for that. <laughs> <But> <laughs> like say, like how can you best achieve your goals? And like the example of like him learning a foreign language, he found out the best way to achieve his goal was to go to a different country and just like live there for three months and just speak only that language. Absolutely. Not everybody has that luxury, but you could still immerse yourself in your own project in the own world that you, that you want to explore. Absolutely. You got to live it and breathe it. Yeah. So after you get to your meta learning, though, you got to move on to your focus, which is probably the briefest topic in this entire thing. Oh, one of the, actually, no, that's not that's the briefest. There's one that's slightly briefer. But if you listen to this podcast, you know we talk about focus a lot. Yes. <laughs> like, you can listen to our episodes about like our forest app review. You can listen to even our digital minimalism review. Our hyper focus book review. Yeah. We talk a lot about focus on the show. Yes. But. but the, uh, the basic idea is that now that you know what you want to learn, figure out how you're going to block out your time, when you're going to learn it, and how your workspace is going to be. Absolutely. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I would recommend if you want to learn more about focus, go to our previous reviews. I will link, or Mark will link them in the show notes. I keep on saying I'll link them in the show notes because I'm making note on this right now as we're recording. <laughs> but you yeah. write the show notes and I'll yeah, I write the show notes as we're talking. Um, one, one thing that I want to say is like um, like when carving out the chunks of time to focus. Sometimes uh, I know he, he referenced this as well. Hopefully, it wasn't from a different section, uh, but he also referenced like when you're trying to focus on those tasks into breaking them down, right? Yeah. Um, so you don't have a huge mountain of a task. Just break it down to where they're just pebbles that you can just like pick a pebble mm-hmm. or in a past episode, you talked about the paperclip, just move a paperclip, right? Um, break them down to smaller manageable things that you can do when you're carving out the time. Mm-hmm. If it's only 30 minutes in a day that you have great, then spend yeah. that 30 minutes on that particular thing, mark it done and then move on with the rest. And if the, only the next day you can do the 30 minutes, then that's what you do. But mm-hmm. um, it's essential to have that focus so that you can focus explicitly on the thing mm-hmm. that you're trying to learn. Yeah. Like myself personally, every other or every day after work, I have about an hour to an hour and a half of free time before uh, we start to eat dinner. Amber is usually working on her last bit of her work day because I, I start my work day two hours before she starts her work day. So I end two hours before her and so on. So I will I will uh, go out to our patio, get my laptop, and then every other day I alternate, I alternate the, t- the subjects. 
Uh, one day is programming, the next day is writing. I'm back and forth, back and forth. On my programming days, I have an hour of going through lectures or working on a problem from Leet's code or code or code wars. Or if I have an idea for a, for something to work on, I will do it myself and just try to find the best tools for that. Uh, and then on my writing days, I will pick a random writing prompt from our writing prompts and work on that for an hour. If I don't finish it, whatever the the point is, practice. It's not about it's not about anything else except for practicing. So, I you gotta find those chunks of time to work on stuff. And like you said, like half an hour is fine as long as you know what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. A very hardcore ultra learner will either take all of Saturday afternoon, all of Saturday morning or just all of Saturday to just work on that topic like that they're staying for their finals in college. <laughs> but that's that's the, that's the thing like with this book though is like he doesn't really have like a uh, definition of like what a true ultra learner is. Like there's no uh, there's no gatekeeping so to speak. You just you just are either quicker at doing it than quicker and better than other people are at learning or you're not kind of thing. Like there's always better ways to learn something new. You just got to choose the one that's right for you and choose a schedule that's right for you. So maybe you won't publish your book in a year, but that doesn't matter if you like write for half an hour, three days a week, you'll eventually get there and you'll learn like, how to publish a book along the way. Yeah, so just, that's a little thing about the, about the focus. Just carve out that time if you can and uh, listen to our previous episodes on focus apps and focus reviews and uh, you'll have a better understanding of how to work on your focus better. We are all about that focus. Yeah. So shall we move on to the next step? Yes. What is principle number three? Directness, which is the ability to work narrow and not wide. So let's see. Oh, yeah. So in his in this case, he points out being direct are things like choosing a project right away to start working on. Doesn't matter what your skill level is. Just jump right into it and figure out along the way. Go to Google. If you're trying to work on a Python code, Stack or any kind of code really, Stack Exchange is the best resource for figuring out everything. I feel like that all my programming kind of boils down to uh, Googling something and going to Stack Exchange and figuring out how it works. Yep. So, <laughs> or, or like start, jump right in and start like, like writing like a novella or a, a uh, book in that matter. Just like go straight in, don't overthink it, and you'll figure out along the way. Another thing that he recommends too is immersive learning, which is better for language learning, where you just go and you just consume uh, the like entertainment or culture of the language that you're trying to learn. Best done by practicing and traveling abroad, but not everybody has that ability, especially especially now when traveling is very restricted. So in that case, if you're trying to do immersive language learning, like listen to like only Spanish podcasts, watch only Spanish TV shows or Spanish dubs of movies and try to limit your use of English as much as possible. He also recommends things called what he calls a flight simulator method, which is like in some cases you can't jump straight in, like flying a plane, because you'll, you might end up crashing it, and that's bad for everybody. <laughs> so you want to just find the best analog you can find to the, to the uh, thing that you're trying to learn and use that until you're competent enough and confident enough to go and do it yourself. And then also on top of that, he also recommends something called the overkill approach, which is kind of like the project-based learning where you just jump straight in. You go like three levels higher than you should be at at the moment and just try to figure out. Sink or swim. Yeah. Yeah. 
This one I think is probably the most important step of this entire process because it is a better way to learn to just go straight in and like learn what tools you need to use instead of listening to lectures all the time and then trying to figure out like what to work on later. Like lectures are important. Like I'm doing a data science to Python course right now on Udemy and I don't know what any of these modules are or like all <laughs> these, like I never heard of pandas for Python before. So it's good to know what these tools are. I'm building my toolbox, so to speak. So I couldn't have like jumped right into that one, but I could have tried to create like a, my own data science projects. And then I, along the way, I just kind of Google stuff. I watch YouTube videos on how to do things and so on. I think it's like, it's a good thing to do to be direct as possible. So yeah, that way you know what questions you're trying to answer. You're not just meandering around. Absolutely. Like you, you can only research so much and starting anything, you're only going to get better just doing it. Just immerse yourself in it and doing it. I'm only going to get okay at UX design <laughs> if I'm actually doing UX design, if I'm actually yeah. uh, doing the work. Um, you only get good at podcasts by podcasting or yeah, that's like how I started a podcast is that Charlie and I were like, we just want to make a podcast. We don't know anything about podcasts. Like we mm -hmm. went to this podcasting subreddit. We went to uh, various online uh, resources and just kind of learned as we went. Yeah. Like we were like, we were determined. It took us two months to get started because we were just crash coursing ourselves into it, but it was totally worth it. So yeah, it's, it's good to do it. It's good to do it. I think like within like your skill levels, like if you're going to start a podcast, don't create the next serial. If you don't have like a public radio or like a radio journalism background, uh, just yet, because that is a lot of time and it's very intense to like create a serial level show. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'd say start, maybe start with a project that you feel like is like a skill level above you or skill level two above you. Don't go on and create create this American Life or serial. Like that's that's a bit far. But you could build your resume and then work for NPR and then start doing those stories. <laughs> and, and that's a very key thing that you said and you um, uh, referenced it earlier as well is making sure the point of learning is to tackle something um, or to challenge yourself by doing something mm -hmm. that is at least one to two skills above mm -hmm. what you currently have. And you could do this in tandem with like watching lectures. You could like watch lectures every other day and like working on your project the next day. And like you, you start incorporating the tools you learn from those lectures into your work. So you're kind of doing it in parallel. So if like doing like a final project at the end of the school year, you're doing the final project as you're going throughout the school year. Yeah. Like I I'm, think this is, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, I'm not going to get any better writing by, I can read and watch all the videos and writing structure, <laughs> plotting, editing, all of that. But I'm not going to get any better um, if I don't actually yeah. write. Which is why, in my opinion, the entire book could boil down to this step. Yes. It could just be all about the step and it'd be just as valuable as the book was. Yes. And I think uh, I wrote this in my notes as being one of the core steps, mm -hmm. one of the core thing essential things that you must do mm -hmm. anything else no oh, we can move on to the next step the next step is the shortest step i only have one note for it <laughs> which is uh drilling principle four drilling which is as you're doing your projects as you're doing your lecture series as you're writing your book as you're 
working on your Python skills, uh, start identifying your weaknesses in it. So for example, for me, when it comes to writing, I really hate writing descriptions and that's like the whole thing that kind of holds me off from like really writing more, uh, more often, I think. Because I hate stopping and writing descriptions. I like to like write dialogue. I like to like write what's happening between people. But describe ask me to do to describe the physical layout of a room. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this case, it would be good for me to like go on to our writing prompts and like writing a bunch of setting based things within those prompts. And the idea with drilling is that you go and like you find those weaknesses, you write them down, you internalize them, whatever you can do, and then you go and you start working on them as much as you can. Yes. That's all it is. If you're learning a new language, if you're having a problem with the syntax of it, then you just start working on speaking the sentences or writing those sentences out. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. you're in tech in your day job, for example, or for me, for example, there's two products I support for my day to day. One of those products we get way, way, way less tickets on. Therefore, it's natural for me to hate that product whenever a ticket comes in. <laughs> yep. But the thing is, is if I want to bring up my skill for that product to the level that I have for the other product I support, I need to attack that weakness. Mm-hmm. I need for them to give me all the tickets for that product so that I am forced and have no choice but to learn and drill in and work it and figure it out, all the internals and everything about it so that I can better support it. So then when, mm-hmm. uh, uh, after I drill, a case comes in, you know, I no longer hate it because now I'm able to better break down mm-hmm. and support the product. Or if you're in tech and you're, you're lacking in, in database stuff like SQL or, or whatever, have your team send you all the SQL stuff, right? And that will force you to learn SQL, to, to understand it better, to research it and to, to properly troubleshoot it. Um, yeah, uh, this is, yeah, this drill, attacking uh, your weak point is pretty standard. Yeah, it, it's useful. It's uh, It seems obvious, but it's also something that people tend to forget because you, a lot of people want to focus on the things that they're good at, not what they're bad at. So yes. it's good to keep in mind that this, this step itself is very straightforward. Uh, the next step is also another pretty straightforward step or principle. I can't say I can't say steps because like these are not prescribed steps. These are just like ideas that you should focus on mm-hmm. while you're doing these ultra learning projects. And retrieval is one of those where it's not doesn't apply to every project necessarily. Uh, retrieval is just all about being able to retrieve information quickly and efficiently whenever you're presented with like a problem. So in my case of of learning Python. It's useful to work on retrieval so I can know, like, know which uh, modules to import, know with what methods to use in certain situations, and so on and so forth. But it's less useful when it comes to writing because you don't need to really memorize that much stuff for learning how to write. It's more of like a technical thing, I'd say. I, I see you disagreeing with me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's your, <laughs> let's do this. Let's, what's your, how are you going to contest this? <laughs> How are you going to test your writing? No, 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 no. Like, like what's your, uh, what's your counterpoint? Oh, well, for, for writing, for retrieval, yes, there is information. There's, I mean, if there's technical information to writing, there's. Then it's always retrievable. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's not as, it's not as strong as like a thing that is like learning a new language. Though. 
Well, yeah, it's, it's there. It's definitely there. I'd say you're learning how to write. So if you yeah. break it down, right, the different uh, points of writing, and if we take a fictional story, for example, or even a non-fictional story, you have your hook, right? What is your hook supposed to do? It's supposed to capture your reader, right? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to lure them, lure them in. But there's many things that you need to do within that hook and within that setup. And if you expand that out is how are you introducing your characters? How are you introducing the world? What particular words are you using? What uh, phrases are you setting up? Captured, encapsulated within that beginning, whether that hook um, at the beginning of the story, that first chapter, those first few pages and how you're structuring that, your word choice, your cadence, your sentence structure, right? The tone that you're setting, there's multiple things that you're setting up in that, <laughs> right? And you have to yeah. write to practice that to actually get better yeah. at that. That's true. Okay. Fair <laughs> more nuance than I thought it would be. Okay. It's not like you're looking at vocabulary words. <laughs> you're right. There's more nuances. <laughs> Touche. You got me. All right. Okay. So yeah, retrieval is important for every project. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> and how you do it is you test yourself, like doing like writing prompts or uh, working on stuff like in the code wars things I do. Yes. And there and there are some things um, like uh, for writing, for example, that is pretty hard for you to test yourself on that. And so you then need to go to the next principle that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, regarding feedback. Um, so there are some that have to be linked together and can't be done in isolation. Mm-hmm. You can certainly um, test yourself for that, but you have to link that to other principles uh, to be able to receive that feedback and see if you actually were successful in the thing that you um, did. And one of those, uh, an example of that in the books, and uh, I can't remember their guy's name, but in pretty much in the beginning, he talked about a, a friend that, that was doing Toastmasters. We've done oh, Toastmasters, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Yeah, I did Toastmasters. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that stuff, uh, there's lots of things that you can learn in Toastmasters. Uh, how you're positioning yourself on stage, will your body language, are you making eye contact? Are you putting the proper emphasis on certain words, mm-hmm. the intonation? All of those things that you have to keep in mind to help in- improve your storytelling or your your speaking mm-hmm. skills. And you and that even applies to writing. Some people are able to just they know their story and they can just tell it right off the top of mm-hmm. their head. There's others like me. All my Toastmaster speeches were written in practice and I delivered them as if I'm like Hey, I'm just talking off the top of my head. No, that's that's a 2000 word um, speech that I just wrote and I practice it to deliver it in this manner. Right. Um, So for things like that, in which you talked about that in the process of learning, that was like really stringing together all nine principles. But some of them are tightly intertwined for you to be able to uh, properly test and retrieve that information that you're learning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's the first step to uh, internalizing the subject. Yes. This parental retrieval is. So the best way to go on from there, though, is being able to know if you're doing it the right way mm-hmm. and how you can improve it, which is the most important next to drilling. In my opinion, this step is the most important step next to drilling, which is feedback. And feedback is also the hardest of all these steps because you're asking yourself to be vulnerable to people. And it's not easy. I mean, I know uh, 
I didn't actually start posting my writing prompts that I completed on the writing prompts subreddit until I read this chapter. I was like, I need to work on my feedback. <laughs> so every time I finish a writing prompt now, if the thread is not archived, I will post it on that thread. Mm. And so far, I've only gotten like two people respond to my stuff. And they've been positive. I'm not sure it's like the, the, the community, if the community is a positive community. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know the culture of the comments of the writing prompt subreddit because I've only ever read the stories in it. I never actually saw what people do for feedback. Yeah. So I might need to go somewhere else. But yeah, he talks about different kinds of feedback and he calls them, he gives them three different categories, which is outcome based, which is the results based feedback, which is did you achieve your goal? Mm hmm. And it's yes or no. Going back to my programming practice, the website Code Wars only tells you if the answer is right. It doesn't tell you if there's a better way to get there. So I know I got the right answer, but there could have been like a way more efficient way that I didn't even know. And then there's the informational feedback, which is focuses on what you're doing wrong, but doesn't provide any hints or solutions to do better. So in this case, also going to programming as an example, having a bug or having a, a uh, an exception error having those things pop up means that you're doing something wrong. You don't really know what you're doing wrong, but it's there. It might give you like an idea like, like on this line, something is happening. Mm-hmm. Then you Google it and go to stack overflow and find what the exact, <laughs> uh, what the exact solution is. So yeah. And then, then the final one is the hardest one to get because it requires kind of like having connections or having a strong community, which is the corrective feedback, which is what focuses on results, what you're doing wrong and how to get better. AKA school or mentorship typically. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely the most important step when it comes to learning how to do better uh, or learning how to get better at the subject you want to do because without feedback, you're basically just blindly the blind. You might have some guidance, but you don't know what you're doing wrong. And like I said, like there could be way more effective ways to do something. And like if you're really studying Python to get a job in the field as a computer scientist, if somebody else could design a way more efficient and better code than you, they're going to get the job and not you. Yes. So you need to get that feedback if you're, if you're really trying to work on that shift. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, like you could like do things as you want to do it for fun and just publish it yourself, but you're not going to be learning anything new out of it. Like publishing it for yourself to read. Nobody else reads it kind of thing. Uh, do you have anything to add to this step? Um, no, I think feedback is essential and important. Um, I, I've always been open to feedback because starting my younger days off in writing. So in mm-hmm. songwriting, if you want people to sing your songs, you kind of got to show them that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And you get immediate feedback on yeah. maybe the melody isn't right or things that they don't like or something. You go back and you tweak, you adjust, you, you mm. converse about it, and then you present it again. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah I love this. I love that we did that. Uh, okay, let's go for it. So for me, feedback has been early on. For others, like when it comes to certain things, it, it can be definitely scary to put something out there and get people's opinions on things though i will have to add right um just because someone provides feedback doesn't mean that they're always right yeah or that you should do everything that they say yeah i didn't write down that part of the chapter but it does mention that not all feedback is good feedback yes like sometimes you have better feedback or you could have uh um like negative feedback, of course. He also mentions that just straight up praise is just bad. <laughs> like he says, like the, the two bad things are negative feedback and very positive feedback. Those are the two most dangerous forms of feedback. 
Because negative feedback can make you not want to do the thing that you're doing at all. Mm-hmm. And then uh, too much praise makes you feel like that you're the best in the world and you don't, don't need to improve. Or you don't know how to improve because no one's telling you how to improve. Right, right. Yeah, so he, he recommends to avoid those at all costs. And also he does do he does say though, that the fear of getting negative feedback tends to be worse than the actual feedback itself and how people react to it. Mm-hmm. So it's good to just kind of like, like a shot. It's always the lead up to the shots worse than the actual shot itself. And you, unless you're the shot is Jaeger. <laughs> okay. Yes. Jaeger is disgusting. Anyone <laughs> who likes it is the devil. <laughs> yeah. So like the feedback itself, it's like a shot most of the time. Typically it's not as bad as it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And the people that do offer very negative feedback, typically shouldn't be listened to anyways because they're not trying to help you. Yeah. Uh, one good thing to do though, talking about Toastmasters is on Toastmasters, whenever you do a speech there, you always get feedback that same meeting. Mm-hmm. Somebody's your evaluator and they write down the notes and they have to give like a three minute presentation uh, about what you did right, what you did wrong, what could be improved on, what you should focus on more that you did, that you're pretty good at, etc. And it's good for both you as a speech writer and them as a reviewer because they get to work on their presentation better and formulate it in a way that's very acceptable and uh, progressive for somebody's growth. And then also you as a speech writer, get, uh, you get your feedback immediately so you can start writing that down. So yeah, just a little side note, Toastmasters is awesome. I haven't done it in years, but it I highly recommend awesome. it. You it's good for everything. Highly recommended it <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And one last thing with feedback that I want to note um, as well is that to improve the feedback that you get, be specific about what you want feedback mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Or that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if I am doing a UX design project, because I'm going to need external feedback, definitely going to need external feedback also in writing. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, for UX design projects that I'm creating or redesigning stuff, I need external feedback. So when I give feedback or um, I reach out to varying people, I'm going to ask them very specific things. What is the button placement? What is the uh, workflow like for the sign-up process? Is it intuitive or not? You know, that gets into more specifics about that genre of work. But if you got a podcast, for example, and you want feedback, ask specifically uh, of of the things you want feedback for. What did you think of my intro? Mm -hmm. What did you think of my interview mm, style? That's true. Right. Yeah. Um, and that focuses that person or those group of people onto that particular thing, as opposed to tell me what you think about the podcast. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then you would just get a, oh, it was great. But if you're like, tell me what you thought about my intro music. Was it too mm-hmm. much or, or not? Right. Then you'll get a, oh, I absolutely hated your intro music. It was absolutely disgusting. Who who sung that? And when you respond that it was you, you know, don't feel too bad. Yeah. I don't uh, know where I was awesome. going with that. <laughs> I'm going to say if you're interested in like learning more about feedback, uh, this is a channel about game design that I like to watch. I'm not a game designer, but I like it. But uh, the game, the YouTube channel... Game Makers Toolkit just did a video about how to respond to feedback. Mm. And it's called like, should developers listen to negative feedback? I think is what it's called. I'll, I'll plug the notes in there. But it was about like how it talks, the video itself talks about like, if you're not specific about what you're looking for in your feedback, the the final product, in this case, the game, might not be of how you envisioned it. Yes. 
And he also mentioned things like, like look out for the for the loud majority or the not the majority, the loud minority. Yes, because they could help guide the game in the wrong direction. It's a really useful video to watch. Everybody, uh, we'll link into the show notes. Absolutely. All right, so let's move to principle number seven, which is principle number seven. We are going to go kind of into a hybrid step of principle number four and five, drilling and retrieval. This is retention. This is after you get the basics down. After you find like what your process is going to be, you want to be able to be able to re- to retain that information that you've learned and make sure it doesn't fall off uh, the uh, the curve of forgetfulness. Uh, he mentions this is actually a well-known study. Doctors are most knowledgeable about medicine the year that they graduate medical school, and it only goes down from there. So <laughs> that's a thing to be very worrisome about: is how well do you know the topic and how well can you retain it for that case? Like I learned whenever I took my professional engineering exam that I forgot nearly everything from college except for like the basics. So I had to cram everything for the test like three months beforehand. So that way I could actually retain the knowledge for the test and then forget about it promptly afterwards. (laughs) Like the, the retention is what you build through practice. It's uh, something that you do every day if you can do it every day, you do it every week, every month, et cetera. Things that you do just to make sure you have the knowledge there in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also recommends uh, various ways of doing it, uh, such as spaced repetition. It's been proven that spaced repetition is better than cramming. Yes. So if you're actually, after I read this chapter, I decided that I'm going to be watching these lectures on Python uh, only for an hour at a time. So that way I have time to digest the information I learn. And then I sleep on it for a night or two and I go back to it and then I pick up where I was left off and it forces me to think about where I was before and it really helps solidify the whole thing. He also recommends things like mimetic devices if you're learning like a new language. It's good to have a mimetic device, but he does warn that mimetic devices tend to be a little bit too specific at times and require a lot of upfront cost to actually be effective. You should use them sparingly. Just Yeah, you should use mimetic devices sparingly because they take up a lot of brain space sometimes. They also take up a lot of uh, upfront cost at the beginning with time and energy. So use them very sparingly. So he also recommends things like overlearning again, where you just throw yourself into it and see what you remember. Then he also recommends proceduralizing stuff, which is pretty much like creating like a checklist of things to go through. And you just kind of go like one thing goes to the next and so on and so forth. Uh, he recommends like he says like riding a bicycle is a very procedural based task because it's all about going through the motions. It's not about recalling information, so it's not for everything. This is like a this is a part of the book where it's kind of like choose your own adventure. Find the things that work best for you. Things that he may not mention might be better for you as well. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you gotta practice. That's what matters the most. Yeah, for retention, I'm a big fan of spaced repetition. Yeah, that might be the most effective one out there. Yeah, always great. And I always try to keep that in mind as well. When trying to learn something or take something on, you have to let your brain rest. Uh, Cramming is not going to do anything. So if you spread it out over a longer period uh, through space repetition, you're able to better retain uh, that information at a higher rate than you would otherwise. Mm -hmm. That's uh, pretty great. And I was kind of glad that 
Uh, he referenced that when I was like kind of looking at the outlines. I was like, okay, that looks like space repetition to me, mm-hmm. at least for like uh, kind of testing your knowledge and, and trying to retain your knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of glad that uh, that was covered uh, within there because we don't nearly uh, necessarily promote that. And then you have like the Feynman technique as well. Yeah, which we'll get to the next step. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm yeah. getting a little bit ahead. Yeah, th- these next two steps are pretty much the same thing but different philosophies retention is more about like the day-to-day knowledge but yes. the next step is intuition which is how well does your background mind work with this information if retention is a forefront of your mind intuition is the back of your mind and he talks about richard feynman who might be the most interesting scientist to ever live in the past century and he is a very charismatic funny guy i would recommend everybody to learn about this guy uh, the most famous book about him is Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentions in the book, in this book, Ultra Learning, and also Surely You're Joking, that Richard Feynman loved lock picking. And while he was working in Los Alamos National Laboratories on the Manhattan Projects, he would sometimes pick his colleagues' safes and like desk to make him to make them feel like that they were broken into and somebody <laughs> stole the plants of the nuclear bomb. <laughs> so this guy had a had a kind of like strange sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but NFL Richard Feynman, he's a great guy. I recommend everybody to learn about him. He's at least one of the most amusing scientists to uh, live in the past century or so. He's definitely the eccentric genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Young was really fascinated with Richard Feynman as well. And he was really fascinated by the fact that Richard Feynman was very intuitive with math problems. Like he'd like, do uh, quick calculations in his head. Uh, by doing some like very clever mental techniques. And so Scott kind of broke this down into good ways to learn about intuition. And he broke it down to four rules, uh, which are rule one, don't give up on hard problems so easily. This is a really good one. Uh, One thing I heard before is like, give yourself like a timer. He actually mentions it on here. Uh, Set a struggle timer. So if you start a hard problem that you can't figure out, give yourself like, I don't know, depending on what the scope of the problem is, 15 minutes to an hour to work on it. If you can't figure out what and then, just don't fret. Look at the solution. It's actually happened to me recently. I was going through my data science Python course and I couldn't figure out the solution to a problem on it because he does practice problems. And the solution was right there if I actually read the docs and I could read like how this how this method worked. And I didn't do that. So I tried to find my own roundabout way that didn't work and I felt like I learned something new after I looked that up. And I also got to experiment with different ways of trying to solve this problem that didn't work, which we'll get into the next step. The next thing that he recommends too is prove things to understand them. He says like, take a concept that you know and like outline it. He recommends, or in an experiment that he talks about is drawing a bike as accurately as possible from memory. And so finding a topic that you want to work on, draw the, the bike of that and try to figure out what you do and do not know about how this uh, metaphorical bike works. Try to prove yourself that you know it. Outline it. This is a really useful thing. Uh, There's something I heard before too, which is like you just ask yourself why until you get to the very bottom. So you say like, okay, why does this work this way? It's like, well, that's because it does this. Okay, why does that do that? And you keep on doing it until you, until you find a stopping point and that's where you need to start learning again. So if you can't ask why without an answer... After that, then you just keep, then you stop there and you look up how to figure out from there. And uh, this is very important. You're pretty much breaking it down to the 
the fundamentals of the problem, get the uh, first principles, as they call it, mm-hmm. and go from there. Uh, he also says that it's another good way to work on intuition. Rule number three is to always start with a concrete example. Like abstract things like computer science can be hard to explain. I know I do not understand Amberly's job at all still. Like I, I have some ideas and she's giving me examples, but like uh, the and examples are very important to do it to show that stuff and like abstract things like computer scientists or computer science is hard to uh, fully describe in a intuitive way. And I did actually, she showed me this really good video about how her, her job works uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, Oh, I get it now. Like it's like, I still don't understand <laughs> it, but I get the gist of it now. Yeah. So an example helps a lot. She's giving me plenty of examples though, because I'm just too dense to figure out what she does. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, then finally he recommends uh, rule number four, do not fool yourself, AKA be aware of the Dunning Kruger effect, which is the, which is the proven uh, psychological phenomenon in which the more you think you know something, the less you actually know about it. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh yeah, I know everything about Python. As soon as you think that you don't know anything and then go and try to figure out from there. It's the most important thing to be aware of when it comes to learning new things. And so many people, myself included, have fallen into the trap of the Dunning Kruger effect and be like, oh yeah, I'm a great podcaster. I'm not producing for NPR. <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing. And he says like, ask yourself dumb questions and so on and like try to like try to figure out what you don't know. It's yeah. Uh, <laughs> like Amberly and I are watching this, uh, this reality TV show on Netflix called uh hot something. I can't remember what it's about, but it's like, it's just like dating show. It's a dumb show, but we wanted to watch something very dumb. And one of the guys in the show is like, yeah, I can say myself an intellectual. So he says like, as soon as he said that, I'm like, you're not an intellectual. Nobody who's an intellectual says that. Right. So be aware of that. <laughs> be aware of those things. Yes. Um, and for that, I will just add like the best way to ensure that you've learned something is to teach it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. He also talks about too in here. Yeah. And like Feynman technique, right? If you can explain it to a five-year-old, then you understand it. Right. So continue. Yeah, Richard Feynman, Richard Feynman believed that if he couldn't bring the uh, topic down to a freshman lecture, he didn't really understand the topic. So um, if he couldn't teach it to freshmen, it wasn't saying that he fully understood. Yes. And so that immediately like kind of reminded me of the, um, I think they're wired, wired videos on YouTube mm-hmm. where an ex, a expert in the field would explain something of five levels of difficulty. So there was uh, oh, one, yeah. the astrophysicist. I think I saw one of these. Yeah. Right. She explained uh, gravity in five different levels. So one was like to a, no, she was between what, seven and nine, I think, uh, year old girl, the basics of gravity. And then from the child to the teenager to college student mm-hmm. to someone else in the field, an expert, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of went from the basics of here's why an apple falls, right? To the expert level where it was nothing exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's and like depending on like what you're trying to learn, try to figure out like how how deep you're trying to explain it to. Mm-hmm. If you just want to get like a child's understanding of an of a subject, that's fine. Just know what you're trying to aim for. If you want to be an expert, you got to figure out how to explain to an expert. Yeah. And the, and that technique also just helps you refine it better and better and yeah. better. They say the best way to learn something and to at least ingrain something into your brain is to teach it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I have a friend, I'm not sure if he's doing it for this purpose, but I think it's a really smart idea anyways. He went to a programming boot camp over the winter. Mm-hmm. And then instead of taking a job as a data scientist afterwards, he decided to take a job as a tutor, not a tutor, a TA for that boot camp for the next semester. And I don't know if he did it for the sake of trying to ingrain it in his brain or not, but I think that's a really smart idea. Like as soon as he learns something, try to teach it somewhere else. And then like whenever you do enter the job market, you'll be ahead of your your uh, peers. Absolutely. Um, whenever there's things that we try to do, um, if we learn something new at work on a case, um, how this particular technology or function functionality works, we turn right around and we try to teach that. Um, we write articles based on that information as well, but we also try to teach it internally. And which one of my Wireshark and networking courses uh, we we joke because uh, my coworker that leads leads it. He's like, you know, I hate you, right? Because I volunteered <laughs> him for it, and I told him the same thing. I was like, well, to us, we may be like a negative ten on a knowledge scale for this networking, and you rank yourself as like a point five, right? But we're negative ten, so mm. we're just trying to get to your point five. And I'm like, plus, think of this as a bonus. You're help, you're helping solidify the knowledge that you do know by teaching mm-hmm. it to us. Yeah. And you know, he flipped me off and walked off. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's really true. It truly helps if you learn something, teach it, and that helps solidify the information because then you're definitely hitting the uh, different points of the principle for you're drilling in the drilling, right? Attacking, attacking those weak spots. You're hitting principle five with the retrieval, right? Mm-hmm. And you're getting principle six. If you're teaching that and you're surveying on the feedback, what did mm-hmm. you know, your listeners, yeah. right? It's it, teaching is a great way to envelop everything and reinforce for yourself as well. So I should make a Udemy course after I'm done with all this stuff and teach Python. Yes. And do a a uh, a Skillshare for writing after I'm done as well. Yeah, I'm gonna do a Teachable on productivity. Um, check okay. out my book 2021 Productivity and You. I'm, I'm joking, but maybe it will happen. <laughs> it might be. I mean, you got so much more free time now. You could churn that out. All right. Yeah. So that yeah, was now on to the final step. Final. What is yeah. that? This is, I think, the most exciting step and the one that I think. A lot of people feel like that they want to do as soon as they jump into a subject. Maybe not a lot of people, but it's definitely something that makes you want to stay for a while, which is experimentation, mm-hmm. which is taking what you've learned so far and trying it in different, trying it in different uh, contexts and see how it works. Like, uh, for example, whenever I was trying to figure out the uh, the Python program I was stuck on for an hour, and there's an easy solution, I was trying out a more roundabout way of doing it. And I learned that that's not how you use that function to get that answer. Like the, every time I ran into an error, I was like, what's going wrong? It makes sense logically, but something's not right. And uh, the experimentation helped me learn more about when and when not to use this method I was just trying to work with. Uh, experimentation he recommends are three different types of exper- experimentation, that he, rec- he says. Uh, there's experimenting with learning resources, which is very basic, which is basically like which book you're going to read. And which online courses are you going to take? Like, does it fulfill your goal? Does it teach you things that are useful, etc.? It's a very basic level. It's kind of like the meta learning side of this whole thing. And he also recommends experimenting with technique, uh, where I that was where I ran into that. 
issue that I was trying to solve is that I was trying out different techniques for this problem and it, it didn't necessarily solve it, but I did learn stuff along the way. And then experimenting with style, which is kind of the next level after you kind of internalize the techniques, you could try out different ways of doing it. Uh, an example would be like writing a book, like how do you prefer to write a book? Um, and go on, go from there. Like it's, it's a very useful time to take what you know, reapply it to different contexts, see what works, what doesn't work. Maybe you'll find something new along the way that was like something you didn't even think about before mm-hmm. and go on from there. It's in my opinion, this is very closely tied to the step of directness where you're experiencing something. Yes. And you just apply it at different levels depending on like how skillful you are at the topic. Yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I think those two are definitely tied in the best way to kind of help reinforce that learning because now you're learning that you're you get to learn the the limitations mm-hmm. of that particular thing and you yeah. don't get that unless you experiment. Yeah. Um with any form, right? You can writing if you want to write your entire book in first person yeah go for it one of my what this one writing project i've been working on for the past year or so but i can never get off the ground because i just never know exactly how it's going to go mm-hmm. but i've like written like a bunch of test chapters for it each chapter from a different character is told from a different point of view the same situation yeah and all of them are written differently like this one guy's an outsider to the whole situation so all of his stuff is written in third person one person she's she's affected very emotionally by it. She wants to be a writer, so all of her stuff is uh, written through the first person, mm-hmm. like her autobiography about the whole thing. And then the other person, he constantly feels like that he's under pressure to keep on doing things. Like he's like ordering himself to do things all the time. So he always hears this voice in his back of head of like, "You gotta do this today. You gotta do that. You gotta do that." So the entire chapter for him is written in second person. Like I've been experiencing with different styles with that one. It'll probably never be published because I can never decide where it's going to go. But I've I've always decided to write this story just to experiment with different styles. Yeah, I, uh, in writing and try to, I think I found the one that I like the best. But um, even when you have that particular style, let's say a third person limited view, that's the one I write in the yeah, most. Yeah, I prefer third. I hate third person, not me present. It really takes me out of the story. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I. I that's why that was the one thing I didn't like about Dune. It's a good book, but I did not like that. And that took me out of the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I try to like, even from that perspective, then it's, then it's, is, is this the right viewpoint to tell the story? And I, yeah. like you, I've been in the same thing in which I've rewritten chapters upon chapters because I can't get the right viewpoint. It yeah. doesn't feel right. Is this character really there from what they're saying? But is that the proper lens that I want it through? What about this person here or this person over there? Right. Mm-hmm. Or do I introduce someone new that that yeah. that is coming in to provide their perspective? But then that's a new character that you're adding to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I've done that. Right. I've experimented with different voices, different viewpoints to try to see if it'll work for the, the, to hit these story beats and mm-hmm. everything else in that, in that structure and, and trying to learn and write or even in a technical field, right. And just trying different things, uh, applying them differently to see if, uh, this works in this way. Will my Docker containers 
uh, work in this particular manner if I'm able to cluster them together? How does Hazelcast react if I tweak these settings and stuff like that for this particular uh, implementation of something? So experimentation, no matter what field, can yield disastrous or beautiful results. (laughs) But you will never know if you don't try. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He also recommends things like cross-experimentation as well. Like Mm -hmm. maybe... Actually, this thing I'm doing right now with my job is I like to write, and I also am an engineer, so I volunteered to write uh, semi-technical guides for our processes around the office, mm-hmm. and I could work on my writing that way. I actually spent all of Wednesday or Thursday just writing a guide, and it felt great. I was like, oh, I get to work on two things at once, and I'm putting my my writing practice and my engineering practice into a completely different context than they're used to being in. So it's good to like try out different things too. Like he even recommends like maybe you're not the best, like maybe you're not the best uh, computer scientist out there, but you're a pretty decent speaker. Maybe you should just be like a really good like lecturer about how this stuff works in your office, or so on and so forth. Like experiment, like, don't just like experiment with the subjects. Put it in different domains and see how you work with it within those domains. Yes, and and you speaking with that kind of reminded me. Um, there's this idea of this like this T. Uh, um, learning diagram curve yeah. whatever in which the crossbar the um, the horizontal part of the T are the various things that you have learned the various knowledge and, knowledge and experiences that you have while the, the vertical bar uh, of the T is your deep uh, dive into knowledge in a particular area mm-hmm. so if you are we'll just do podcasting if you have this uh, in your vertical bar where you have deep knowledge is in maybe audio production and, and editing in general, right? Mm-hmm. You have a deep knowledge in there. You can do it in your sleep no matter what uh, a digital workstation or editing tool that you use. Your cross-sectional stuff that you've learned can be used to, uh, to apply that. Maybe the story storytelling pieces that you learned, maybe the design pieces uh, that you learned because you went and studied and had an art degree in the 80s, right? That you mm-hmm. can apply that to your work there. Um, those mixture of experiences and knowledge that you experiment and put together can yield much better results. Just like mm-hmm. you were saying, in which you may have learned extensively about this particular field or topic, but you're really great at teaching and writing. Yeah. You can combine that information to, to mix those together and deploy it in this particular manner. That's, that could be very unique compared to what other people are doing in that field. Yeah. Uh, this is by far the most fun part of this whole process. And like these are all principles, are not steps. So you could combine them any way you want. And I recommend just like going to experimentation as quickly as possible. See what works and what doesn't work, and learn along the way. This is, I think, the most. I'd say if this book is boiled down to the main main steps that you should focus on, though, it'd be directness, feedback, intuition, and experimentation. Those are the four main takeaways from this book. Hmm. The rest are also important, but those things, I think help you grow the most i had initially wrote focus direct drill and retrieval that's my four cores so i guess we're (laughs) just follow the whole book all right yeah (laughs) Yeah. so now we're talking about the whole book let's go down to our final review let's start with you mark 
Um, I thought it was a great read, extremely useful uh, for those unfamiliar with the varying methods and, and frameworks of learning. If at a minimum, these principles are kind of a reminder to what you may need to practice in your day to day. And if not, they create an excellent path and foundation for you to implement in -hmm. whatever your next endeavor is. So Mm -hmm. even if you're familiar with portions of it, it's kind of great to get a refresher. Yeah, it's like reading Atomic Habits that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also speaking of Atomic Habits, the intro is written by James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. One of my favorite books. Yeah. Um, So I I think this is great, right? Because you can kind of go back to each of these sections and see kind of the examples and how they apply it. But if you just kind of like just write out a list of what the nine principles are and see how you can uh, tackle that um, and how you can combine them uh, in your learning strategy, I think it's pretty great. So I really enjoyed the book. I actually even enjoyed more just discussing the book. I know. Yeah. Uh, I, know. I think that my ratings would have changed, but I, I, I think I might keep it, but I'll, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, think I, I might will change it. Yeah. I, I'm going to change it too. Uh, I thought about <laughs> changing it. I think I may keep it to what I had before. Yeah. Because uh, I may, I don't know if I'll. So, my rating that I had given it, uh, spoiler alert, if you follow, well, about the time I rate it. Yeah. Anyway, if you were following yeah. me on Goodreads, you you would um, uh, not that I shared out my ID on Goodreads, I mean, but we like always like we could do like what you did with like uh, with getting things done, like where where we read the the topics in the book and the book itself. Yeah. So I think that split method is a good way to go for books. Yeah. So the the book the the book itself I rated at a four. I really liked it. Uh, four mm-hmm. out of five. I really enjoyed it. The topics were really great to actually discuss if we were to rate the methods uh, or the principles separately, right? Yeah. Of great things to outline. Um, I would probably give them a five, right? Um, It's It's like we're in line. I also would give it a four for the book. It gets like a bunch of books in this space. It kind of gets warty at times. Exactly. The last chapter is completely pointless. And that's what made me actually (laughs) lower down to it from a five to a four. I think the last chapter was saying that Scott was asked to write from his editor for better marketing because the last chapter is about how to apply this to your work life yeah, or like how to apply this for your employees and nowhere in this book does he talk about that's a business book and like all of a sudden it becomes a business book at the end. I think it wasn't his fault that that happened. I think that was his editor saying there needs to be some like something for the managers out there and he wrote the last chapter. Well, I think we, I, I mentioned this before in the past episodes, like when you, when you get to publishing books and you have a publisher your word count matters because it has oh, to yeah, make it too. worthwhile for them yeah. to publish it. So it yeah, could have been a smaller true. book, but they were like, mm, we need you to, yeah. to fill this out a little yeah. bit. So, yeah. So it could have been that too. I think that he probably had pressure to write that stuff, but so I give it a four because he gets 40 at times, but overall it's really good. But the methods, they seem to be pretty solid. I haven't looked for anything that's like, uh, against it yet. I haven't looked for like any kind of dissenting opinions in this book just yet. But they seem pretty solid, and he has proof within himself that at least works for one kind of person out there. So why not work for everybody? It might work for people that are more fans of the show than somebody else. Mm-hmm. Some people might just need to have that tutor in their life to get through things. And he even recommends, like, if, like, this isn't for everybody, like, just find, like, a college class, like a community class, a community college class to go to if you want to learn something new. 
You don't have to follow the principles of this book. Of course, he does talk about how, how education systems are uh, are broken in some ways, which actually I I haven't read the book, but there's a there's a book on my want to read list called The Case Against Education by Brian Kaplan. Yeah, I uh, heard his I heard an interview with him on a podcast a long time ago, and he had pretty compelling arguments. He uh, he thinks that education is pretty much like a certificate system yeah and you could teach yourself way better way quicker outside of school so yeah i mean uh or like just like typical education is like not the best way anymore like for example my partner she changed her career path by going to boot camp not going back to school for four years Mm -hmm. and she had it was easy for her to change careers then so yeah it's like it's a whole different topic yeah education i had that book on my reading list i've yet to get to it but in the interview I heard with him, I think it was on the podcast Rationally Speaking, uh, he had some pretty good points. And Brian Kaplan is a really well-renowned researcher, but he does have like some he does have some uh, thoughts that uh, don't drive well drive well with everybody though. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, I get the I get the techniques five, the book of four. Cool, awesome. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. This is a very long episode. It's it a very long topic. Is yeah yeah so. Uh, let's get on to our next topic. So that way I don't go hoarse. My throat is getting dry. I need some water. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our next topic is going to be the, uh, the hot new, I guess that's not really hot new, but, uh, the website brain.fm. It's also an app as well. It uses computer generated sounds to kind of help you relax or focus or sleep. The idea is that like, uh, it finds like basically like the lo-fi hip hop beats for you. And so if I need to go to chill to Cal every day and go from there and it is a subscription service. So it'll be fun to for us to review to see if it's worth it or not. And we'll be, we'll be back in two weeks with our, our review for brain.fm. In the meantime, where can people find you, Mark? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at ask Mark Yo. That is ask Mark I O. And you can find my uh, horrible writings and illustrations on my blog at askmark.io. Where can they find you, Kyle? Yeah, you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at KyleSQ9. That is KyleSQ9. And you could find my website, which will redirect you to a WordPress blog. Uh, that is quadrant9.net, where I did just recently publish a... a uh, essay about my desire to learn programming this time and i do plan on publishing my uh, writing prompts completions from our writing prompts onto quadrant nine as well which i'll start publishing to the site as of today i'll set like a schedule for them so you could read my writing journey and in the meantime if you listen to more episodes of the productivity lab you could find us at tpl.show or the productivity lab.show you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Productive Lab. And until next time, stay productive.
<laughs> uh, I just I got spoiled. I saw your review is scrolling down. Oh, don't see. These are good. These are good. These are good. Read friends. You're just prioritizing. I guess at the top. I partially started to scroll down. I was like, wait, it shows friends. So I stopped. <laughs> and you kept going. Damn uh. it. <laughs>